Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Hey, I'm grateful to have you with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today's episode features a powerful testimony of God's restoration and goodness. I'm joined in this episode by author, entrepreneur, and podcaster, Rosie Rivera. And Rosie opens up to us about her story of childhood abuse and how that led her on a destructive downward spiral, but yet how God rescued her and showed himself as her defender. Rosie actually has a new book out called God Is Your Defender, and it's all about learning to settle under God's protective power rather than fighting for yourself. As we get started, if you'd like to take notes on this episode and then later give yourself the opportunity to pray and reflect on what you've learned, I want you to have a look down in the show notes. You'll notice something called podcast pages. If you click on that link, you'll be taken to the Agape Moms website, and there you'll find free downloadable podcast journaling pages to give you the opportunity to consider further what God would have for you from this episode. Also, down in the show notes, if you are new to the podcast, you'll notice a link to a quiz. It's called What's Your Loneliness Type? Loneliness is something that all of us single moms have to deal with, but the reasons why we deal with loneliness are different, and they don't necessarily have that much to do with whether or not we're in a relationship. So if you'd like to learn more about your own experience with loneliness, what's causing it, and then some of the ways out, go ahead and click on that link or head over to agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. In talking to Rosie, I got such a clearer picture of just how much God loves us and is constantly defending and rescuing us. I know this is going to be a very impactful conversation for you, and I'm excited for what God would reveal about Himself. Here's my conversation with Rosie Rivera. Rosie, I'm so thrilled to sit down with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Rosie, your newest book is all about those times where we get knocked down and maybe we face some injustices mm -hmm. and how to get back up. But in the process of that, what we need to do to allow God to take the reins rather than taking things into our own hands. Yeah. As we launch in today, I want to know if you would just Help us understand some of the things that you have walked through that inspired you to write this book. Well, yeah, the, the book is kind of an answer to my own question that I had for so long in my life that, to be honest, sometimes I still have. Like today, right now, it's, hey, God, you're going to defend me. You're going to get up. You're going to say something. How do I stop myself from taking things into my own hands? And, and really, my question began when I was probably... 9, 10, 11, um, 
when I was a child, my, I was the smallest, the youngest of six of six. And my dad, I was his princess. So he would tell my brothers, no one could touch Rosie. No one can spank her. No one can scold her. She is the princess of this house. And, and so the word stuck in my head, no one can touch Rosie. Right. And, um, there was, you know, a little bit of spoiled there, but then at eight, I I became really confused because my sister's first husband started to sexually abuse me Mm. and I didn't even know what was going on. We we didn't talk about sex. It was the eighties. So there was a lot less on TV. There was probably kissing. And even that we wouldn't watch it. They would tell us to cover our eyes. There was just Mm. this silence, this taboo. So when he told me that we would play the love game, I thought, well, I know love. And I like to play games. I was playing Barbies when he interrupted me and I, and I trusted him because he was my sister's husband and she loved him. So he was family. And I didn't know for about a year what was going on when we finally had sex ed in fifth grade. I remember I was nine. I was so livid when it hit me, I was in class and I was so mad that I felt so fooled and taken advantage of and tricked. And, and I knew it. I'm like, I knew it felt dirty. I knew I felt weird. I knew I did it. Like I didn't like the game. I just, I couldn't comprehend it and it didn't hurt yet. And, and that's something that a lot of our children or us as children thought, if it doesn't hurt, then maybe it's not bad. It didn't hurt physically yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so mad. I threw up in class. Like I just threw up the anger. And, and I think that's important to note because that anger kind of stuck with me. Anger is a valid emotion. It is a tool God gives us to be able to see what's going on inside. But that anger stuck with me to the point where it just became a part of my personality. And he tried to do it again a few months later. And and I finally said no. I finally, for the first time, used my voice and said no. And I screamed because then it did start to hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and he covered my mouth. And I'll never forget that because... It was like a visual of him taking away my voice. He mm-hmm. covered my mouth and told me that he threatened me, said he would kill my sister if I spoke up. And the fear just came over. I mean, I was nine and I really had to think it through. And there was a lot of domestic violence going on between them. Mm-hmm. He, he would start it and she would defend herself or just some, you know, all I know is that I was used to the banging, to the throwing, to the, I was just used to it. So I thought, he could kill her. He really could. It wasn't like an empty threat to a nine-year-old. Yeah. So I thought I have to carry this weight by myself. I don't want my sister to get killed. I don't want my brothers to kill him. I don't want my mom to have a broken heart. So a nine-year-old thought I'm going to carry this by myself. I, I can suffer by myself. And if in case he's doing this to get back at my sister, then he's not going to succeed because she's not even ever going to know mm-hmm. and everyone will be fine. And I'll do this by myself. And it, around that was nine years old when I made these vows, these vows in distress, these vows in fear. And, and I used to ask myself, but then I thought no one could touch Rosie. And it seems like I'm so invaluable and I don't understand. And of course, dad didn't know. Nobody knew. But I started asking myself, like, does God know? I, I really didn't have an understanding. I knew God existed and I knew it wasn't his fault for some reason. I'm, I'm glad my spirit knew that. I know maybe some people could validly have that question, right? But I would just ask like, is God going to stand up for me? 
is this only happening to me or does this happen to a lot of other girls and boys and no one says anything like so I would ask myself who's going to defend me and with time thank God God did and it was 18 years later but I learned so much in those 18 years. I'm still learning now about allowing God to be my defender, mm-hmm. about waiting on God's timing and how he wants to do it. God is God. So what may look like fair to me is different to God. And, and yet I, I'm learning to trust him and know that whatever he decides, it's for the best of humanity, not only for me, but he's a father. So the and it's a process. And a lot of the book is about about not only God being our defender, one, we have to believe it. And that took me a long time to believe. And once you do believe it, how to allow God to do it. But more than that, what's my responsibility during that waiting Mm -hmm. in those 18 years, what could I have done? I spent 18 years hating this man. I spent revenge was like on my mind all day to the point where I wasn't dreaming of being an astronaut anymore. I wasn't dreaming of being a Supreme Court justice. All those dreams I threw away because my main focus became getting back at this man. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I wasted a lot of my energy, of my time, of my healing time. So this book is, is yes, confirming that God is our defender, but also how to focus on, on us, on healing so that it really doesn't affect our present. And that means my children. And, and so I've been through a lot of things in my life that indirectly without healing, I allowed to affect my children Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that anymore. And I just really want my readers to, to really let go of their revenge. I know it's tough. It's a process, but I've lived it and I've gotten like the best rewards from it. And, and my kids have seen the fruit of it. Mm. I love that you pointed to that too, because it does become all-consuming to the point that we're not being fully present into the things that God has called us to in our relationships, in raising our kids. And it really just has a way of getting its hooks in and eradicating the good that still exists in our lives. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about how that anger really all started to manifest itself in your life and relationships as you continued moving forward to the point where you were able to determine that, all right, this is not working. Yes. I think, I thank God that he's allowed me to be a mom because I learned through so, so much through my children. Um, my, I have an 18 year old daughter now and she, her fear of me, let me know that my anger was spilling over onto the rest of my life. I had my daughter um, out of wedlock and uh, we didn't get married. He, he broke up with me the day that I told him I was pregnant. There was no issues in the relationship. Uh, we were in love and, and, but he just didn't want to become responsible. And I decided to have her because I had had a, an abortion at 17 and it was just tearing me apart inside that secret. I went through it alone and And I said, I'm not going to have another abortion. It's just a decision I made because it had hurt me so deeply. I was going through depression and guilt and just the enemy was always attacking me saying, you'll never have children. And when you, if you do, you'll never be a good mom. So my daughter has seen so much. And then I got into another relationship that was um, abusive. I, I got married 
to someone very quickly. I just, I wanted my daughter to have a home. I didn't love this man. And then I don't know how in between it, maybe it was the threats. It was, it just got so scary so quickly. He threw away all my clothes, all my makeup. He isolated me from my friends and my family. And it was just me and my two-year-old daughter. And, and I was scared and um, he would lock me up into places. And so I, I became very re-traumatized. Um, and so I, I, I had to get out of that relationship. I had to, I escaped. It was literally an escape. I thank my friend so much because one day I text her and, or I called her and I said, Hey, be at this parking lot at this time with your car door open and your car on. And if you see me run towards you, I'm going to jump in your car and we're getting away. She had no idea what was going on, but I love her because she was just there. Whatever was happening, she was there and followed instruction. And and when my husband at the time was going to get physical and verbal, and, and it was a lot of psychological abuse, I just ran out of his car and I ran and and I saw her and I escaped and I said, I never want to come back here. If I tell like, please help me not come back here. And Mm -hmm. that's when people started to know. But at that point, I didn't know that my anger had affected me just yet. Mm -hmm. It was when my daughter started to grow up. Um, I I stayed single for, for years after that. I was a single mom for eight years and, and her and I were great. She, you know, she's a great, great daughter and I'm so blessed to have her, but she's obedient to a fault, Mm -hmm. obedient to where I don't know if she's free, obedient to where she's afraid to move and she would be afraid to not have me around. She, she wouldn't go into a pool by herself or ride Mm -hmm. a bike by herself. And I started asking myself, why is she so afraid? Mm -hmm. And because I've never like abused her or spanked her or my anger. I thought I'm not taking it out on her. I'm really angry at the man that sexually abused me, but I'm not angry at my child. And, Mm -hmm. and she, she was just very like shy and scared all the time. And I didn't understand why. Well, God started healing me. I started to work. I started to really work on myself, let go of the man that abused me. God's going to handle it. I'm going to do, I went to counseling. I read the books. I've done mentoring mom groups and, and, and healing groups. And my daughter, who's now 18, a few years ago was, she's very open with me. And she said, Hey mom, I see how, how you're different as a mom. I see you're it's really great that my siblings now have a different mom. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you, you've always been great to me, mom, but, but you were angry and I was scared of you. And I love it. How Sammy and Eli, they, they're free They're And that's, I'm, I, I didn't get to see it until after the reward and that my kids have a better mom. And, and so I, I started to see what I did see was, um, I was lonely. I was really ruining friendships. A lot of people that loved me, good people, I would push them away with my anger. I was a short fuse. I would get invited less to reunions. Um, I was told less and I started to see why are these people leaving me? And sometimes you want to blame it on everyone else. And oh, well, she abandoned me, or she didn't, she found a new friend, or you know, she's not inviting me anymore, or this boy, he left me, he left me for no reason when I did start and date. And I started to see 
maybe it's me. I'm the common factor. And it yeah. was, that I don't trust people. I have a short, I, I, I had a short fuse. And so we have to really be able to look in the mirror and say, could it be me? Like, mm-hmm. is there anything I'm contributing? You know, I can't blame a hundred percent a broken relationship on someone else. What did I do? And so it was that, that loneliness that began in my life when I was little my anger would protect me from, from bullies, from people taking advantage of me, from the abuser. All I had to do was like, you know, I would protect myself with anger, but the same mechanisms that worked as a child were no longer functioning as a teenager or an adult. Mm-hmm. I was just ending up alone. And I'm glad that people started to tell me I have friends in my life that were very honest and that they love me and that I allowed myself to hear them. Because sometimes we'll say, oh, we, I just have haters or she's jealous or no. But when it's people around you that genuinely love you, that are that, you know, are concerned for you and they're telling you, you know, Rosie, it's just that you're always in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. We don't I don't know if I want to introduce you to my new friends because I don't know how you'll act today. I really had to listen to those friends and really look into myself. That's powerful. And I think. Oh, that's, that's difficult to hear though, too. When you're in that spiraling space, there is a tendency to become really defensive and it's hard for us, but it's a humbling experience. But when we're ready, I think God is so gentle to say, he he allows us to kind of go off on our own direction for a little while enough that when we're starting to get tired of ourselves is when we're starting to say, all right, maybe there is something to all of this. You also point though, so we're talking about self-destruction a little bit here then, and you also point to in your book, some of your struggles with weight and how there were some self-destructive tendencies there that actually, it seemed to you to be something that maybe was eh, not that big of a deal, but then eventually started to figure out, oh man, I think I'm using this as a way to take revenge. So can you talk about how revenge can sometimes turn more into self-destruction? Yes. I, um, when I, I saw the abuser the last time when I was about 12 and I had, you know, it was, my body was changing and he was no longer interested in abusing me because I had grown into puberty, but I was really, the last time I saw him, I was alone and I didn't want to let him in the house. And he, I was really scared. And he said, um, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything to you. You're too fat. And it hurt. It's so weird because your mind goes through all the, when anyone calls you to something, it hurts, right? No matter who it is. So I was, I was offended, but then subconsciously I said, oh, then, then I can protect myself. Um, And it can be by being too fat. Maybe grown men won't be interested in me if I'm too fat. Mm -hmm. So, um, and my body was coming in. So other grown men, when I was walking down the street would yell stuff at me and it would really gross me out sexual or any, even any compliment would just gross me out. So from the age of 12 to 13, I gained 50 pounds. I, I don't want to say I planned it. It was just something that in the moment made sense. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. then gain weight and you'll be safe. Mm -hmm. But at 13, there's also boys that you like there's, you know, at school. And (laughs) then I started to be being bullied because I was too fat. So Mm -hmm. I really went into this yo-yo from 13 to 14. All I ate was one meal a day. It was cereal and I dropped the weight, but my eyesight started going bad. So my body has been through so much Mm. 
because I didn't love it. I, I was either trying to protect myself, defend myself, make someone else love my body, make someone else like my body. And then I really started to hate myself when I found out that he was sexually abusing his own daughter. And I started to feel guilty. Like, what if you had spoken up? Like my plan didn't work instead of helping. I hurt. And I really started to self-loathe and, and blame myself for what the abuser was continuing to do. Um, and I, I thought, Hmm, how can I kill myself without killing myself? My mom was already a believer and she loved the Lord and she started to let us know, you know, the word. And so I knew I couldn't kill myself. I I was scared to go to hell Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to take a step that extreme, but I thought, well, I'll kill myself slowly. So anything that I would hear, whether it was like, oh, someone drank themselves till their liver gave out. Oh, okay, I'll do that. I started drinking at 13. Oh, anything that I would hear that was bad for you, I started doing. At 16, I started doing coke all by myself. I just found it. No one, no one came. There was no peer pressure. Um, and then other drugs and having sex unprotected. Once I knew there was STD or AIDS, I thought maybe I'll, it'll just happen. And what can I say? I didn't, I didn't technically kill myself, but again, that self-sabotage will spill over. It's, you can't control it when it's something so powerful that is out of control in one area, it'll become out of control in other areas. So I self-sabotaged great relationships. I self-sabotaged great careers where I was right about to get to where I wanted something that would mean something to me, I would destroy it Mm -hmm. subconsciously. Um, and, and sometimes consciously, um, any, anytime I was about to meet a new friend or that was being introduced to someone, I would be on the, in the worst mood. And I would just give the worst first impression because I thought if she's really a good person, she will forgive it and she'll see through it. But so many people were being tested that weren't even yeah. aware what they were walking into. And, right. and a lot of it was, I'm just going to destroy myself so that, so this is what my thought process was, so that the abuser knows he didn't mm-hmm. kill me. He didn't destroy me. If anyone, I have the power to destroy myself. And, and now in a, from a healed place, I can see where that's like, incorrect. But when you're in the midst of the darkness, I completely understand where those thoughts can seem rational. It's right. it's when you're in the dark so long that you no longer, it, it seems comfortable. So mm-hmm. I, I ask God, please keep me sensitive to people's dark places so that I never judge. Because from a healed place, sometimes we can judge and we can ask the questions, why didn't you just speak up? Why don't you leave? Why don't you, you know, why do you keep going back? from a healed place that can sound really judgmental to a person that's still in a dark place and says, but this is my only solution. And to me at that moment, that was my only solution. If I kill myself, no one else can do it. Not even the abuser. I thought I was taking away his power. Absolutely. And I I think that when we've been in darkness, we can't conceive of the light anymore. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem that there is a happily ever after that's out there. And so this downward spiral just seems to be all that there is. And thankfully though, God does often either put people or circumstances or something into our life 
to just pull us out of the deep end. I compare it to being like in shark infested waters without ever even knowing it. And yet God plucks you out, sets you on the shore and says, you don't want to go back in there. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go. And it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I've found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. What was that moment for you, Rosie? What was that moment where you decided this is, there's something else. I was 25 years old. Um, my daughter was two and I was married to who I thought was my best friend. We had gotten, he had been in love with me for many years and I wasn't, I was still waiting for my, my father, my baby's father, but he had started a new relationship and it became really dark for me. I I started to really lose hope that I could ever be loved. I had gained 60 pounds from my pregnancy and I couldn't drop it. So I felt low and I thought no one's ever going to love me. Plus all the baggage of the sexual abuse and my promiscuity. Who's going to want me is what I thought. Mm -hmm. And so my, my then best friend wanted to marry me and I took him up on the offer. You know, I said, I don't love you. I was very clear. I don't love you, but I know you, you'll take care of me or, or give me my family, my daughter, a family. So in an act of desperation, I got married to him and he said, I'm going to make you a queen. And three days later, after our marriage, it was, it was, we eloped. My poor family had no idea. Mm -hmm. We eloped and three days later, we're doing the exact same thing we always did. We were in a bar smoking, drinking, and I was wearing the exact same attire. I was me. And someone looked at me and he, I don't know what clicked in his head, Mm -hmm. but as soon as we got home, He's like, you're never drinking again. You're not smoking. You're, he threw away my clothes. He threw away all my makeup. He said, and you're never going out with your friends. And I, I, I thought he's going to get over it. Like he's just a little jealous, but it never stopped. Mm-hmm. I was isolated to, I can remember two very traumatic events. Um, I, he gave me a minute to shower. Like oh he, he timed me. He said, you're going to go inside and you're going to shower. And all you have is a minute and there was that sense of control. I had no, no sense at all of control of, over my life. Mm-hmm. And he would watch everything that I did. If I was going to work, if I was going to school, he would time me. He would be outside. He would drop me off and pick me up. And the second thing he did to me was um, he, would, he was verbally abusive all day, just calling me the worst names to, in my mind, was a confirmation mm-hmm. of what I thought of myself. Right. And, and so... I learned later, no one can abuse you more than you abuse yourself. And and I allowed it because I believed it. I believed all the words he said about me because he knew my past. And so one day I just said, I don't, I don't want to have sex with you. You've called me this horrible name all day. I feel like it. I feel like trash and I don't want to make love to you today. And he raped me Mm -hmm. and Then he threw me out of the hotel room with nothing else but his shirt on, nothing else. And I was mortified. I, it was two in the morning and I thought someone's going to see me 
And I'm going to be the shame of my family. I didn't think of my value. I didn't think of my body. I didn't think about about everybody and everything else, what everyone else thought. Mm -hmm. And I go to the front desk and I say, Hey, my husband's in room blank, blank. Can you please give me the key? He accidentally locked me out. He's drunk and he fell asleep, but I was crying and my, I was a mess and I was wearing a man's Mm t-shirt. And he said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to call the cops. And I said, I didn't get it. I was like, what do you mean? Why? I promise we paid the room check. It's his name, blank, blank. And, and he says, we don't allow prostitutes here. And I, I've never done that, Mm. but I grabbed the label and put it on me as if it were true. I don't know this man. He meant nothing to me, but I was in such a bad state emotionally in my, in my self-worth, in my self-esteem that a stranger called me a name and I put it on me. And That was the day that I said, I'm the shame of my family. Mm -hmm. I used to tell my dad that I could be an astronaut. And he said that I could. I used to tell my dad that I could be uh, a Supreme Court justice. And he said that I could. There was nothing too high or too low. My daddy used to say, you can do it, baby. And your dad goes with you. I said, and here I am a prostitute. And I believed it. It, it, When your mind is in that dark place, like you said, you can't see the light. I couldn't even recognize darkness from darkness and lie Mm -hmm. from lie. It was... Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I finally got my keys. He finally opened up the door and I drove home and I made a plan. And I said, I'm going to say goodbye to everyone. I'm going to get really drunk. I'm going to take a 40 Tylenol or pills and I'm going to walk down the street and I'm going to be so drunk. Someone's going to take advantage of me and hopefully they kill me. And that's what I did. And I walked down the street at 2 a.m. And I was yelling like a crazy person, waiting for someone to to fight me, um, waiting for someone to pick me up and rape me and and throw me. My body was at no worth. So I was like, it doesn't matter. I just don't want to wake up. Mm -hmm. And, And not one person, not one looked over at me. I walked for at least an hour and a half. Now, no one honked nothing. It was as if I was invisible and I was yelling up at God, like, why won't this happen? Why won't you let me die? And now I know he was protecting me from me, mm-hmm. not only from the outside world, but he was protecting me from me. Mm-hmm. I can be my worst own enemy. The real true battle is inside me is inside my heart and my mind. And so I said, fine, then, you know, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to lay in this street. And if someone runs me over and then I wake up in your presence. I, I want to die. So I just give you my life. And it's that line that I'm like, I'm going to give you my life that I, I said in ignorance without even knowing that, that I could really give my life to God. And I fell asleep and I was expecting, you know, to wake up in his presence. I don't know. I just thought someone's going to run me over. And um, his voice woke me up. It, it was an audible. It was deep inside something. There was no one around. It was the middle of the street, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And I heard something deep inside me, a, a loving yet stern. I knew, I knew it was serious. And he said, that's enough. Go home. Mm-hmm. And I wake up and I look around and I'm like, and I knew who it was. My spirit knew I had been in church long enough, whether I was dragged to church or my mom used to always take me and I used to be in the very back pew, like, oh, you know, that horrible teenager. Yeah. yeah. And, but I knew my spirit recognized his voice and he said it again. That's enough. Go home. And I said, am I really going to be brave? Because I thought I was so brave to fight people on the street. I could mm-hmm. use my tongue like a weapon. I was a fighter physically. And I said, what if true courage is talking to my creator? 
Like, what if I really, what if that's true courage? What if I just tell him? Because I wasn't sure if he knew. I didn't know. So what if I tell him about the abortion and the fear and the pain? What if I tell him that I'm tired? I still cry because I feel that there are women, men that still feel like that. So my thought was, I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know how to pray. I haven't heard a sermon. I, I left church when I was 16. So I said, I'm just going to ask him. I'm going to talk to him. You know, and I said, okay. I asked him, where's my home? Where is a woman like me? I'm, a, I'm probably a bad mom. I love my kid, but I'm probably a bad mom. I'm getting divorced. I'm addicted to substances or at least abuse them. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm confused about my sexuality and I had an abortion. Where can I go where I'm genuinely loved and accepted? I want to change, but what if I can't? What if I can't let go of these addictions? Well, where is a place? Where is a home? Well, they'll receive me and love me in case I don't change. Because we know people will love us when we do change. But what if we can't? And that is the pain that I feel generation, this generation has that I have that other women have. What if I can't change? I'm doing all the effort. What if I don't lose the weight? What if I don't stop the cursing? What if I can't control my anger? And we want to, but we also want someone to love us and receive us in case we don't. I love you as is. And I thought that was impossible. And I thought no man's going to love me as is. Maybe my mom will even get tired of me. So I can't go. I don't want to go back to that man. I'm not going to continue to be raped. I don't, I can't go back to my mom. So where do I go, God? I, I, it was really a question. And he's so lovingly, I love the Holy Spirit so much. I, because so many years, my mom had been talking to me about God for 11 years saying God loves you, Jesus receives you, verses like from the East to the West. I mean, and I would just say, whatever, mom, that's not true in the church and they lie and they're hypocrites, whatever, mom. But as soon as I opened up the door, as soon as I opened up the possibility of hearing God, the Holy Spirit reminded me. I remembered songs. I remembered words. I remember my mom's love. I remembered verses. And he said, my house is a house of prayer. You have a home there. You will be received and accepted there. I am waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I think I'm going to give it a shot. I've tried everything else. Mm-hmm. And I called my mom. I, I went home. I found out there was this huge search party for me. The person that thought no one cared about her. My brother had found out I was missing and he had a search party going. And he had, he's a six foot three, 300 pound guy crying, please don't do this again, Rosie. We love you. We need you. And I was like, you do? I genuinely couldn't see love right in front of me because I didn't love myself. I had a lot of people that loved me, genuinely loved me, but I didn't love me. Mm -hmm. So when you don't love yourself, you can't receive love or even give love. Mm -hmm. And because we love out of guilt, we love out of fear. I'm talking true, pure love is, you know, from God. And I called my mom the next morning and I said, Hey mama, you going to church? And she, she said, yes. Why? (laughs) (laughs) It was the first time I had asked her. And I said, 
I, I want to go with you. Don't mess with me. Don't Rosie. I, they won't let me worship. If I get there late, I don't, they don't care if I'm the pastor's mama, they will not let me sing. So don't make me late. I said, I promise mom, I won't. So I picked her up and she was so quiet on the way. I can only imagine she had prayed for this for 11 years. Mm -hmm. She hadn't only prayed for it. She had declared it. My mama would have me one time when I was about 16, I got home drunk and drugged and a mess. And she was waiting for me. And I was so rude to her. I said, lady, leave me alone. And she followed me into my room and I'm like, oh, here she comes. I was just, and she, she said, you're, you're not going to beat my God. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to go to sleep, lady. Leave me alone. And I pretended to be asleep. And she gets anointing oil on her hands. She was no longer praying. She had prayed long enough. Now she was declaring. Mm -hmm. And she puts these oil-filled hands on my legs and starts to say the most amazing things about me. She said, you are an evangelist. You are a woman of God. You are a preacher. And thousands of people are going to come to the Lord through you. Mm -hmm. And I said, my poor mama. She doesn't know her kid. Of course she did. She saw what she saw, but she decided to hear what heaven said about me, to see what heaven saw in me. And that was when I was 16. It didn't happen until I was 25, but I know my mama never stopped interceding. She never stopped believing. She never stopped loving me. She scolded me. I deserved it, yeah. but she never, ever gave up on me. And I will never, ever forget that. And so she saw me walking in church that day and give my life to Christ. And I've never turned back, made some mistakes. I've had falls. My walk hasn't been perfect, mm -hmm. but she has seen what she declared come to life. And I, I just, the love of my mother is incredible and has sustained me. And she just hasn't failed in loving me. I'm just so grateful mm -hmm. to her. So fantastic. <laughs> wow. I just, you know, I'm sitting here thinking as listeners, we're sitting here going some, we fit somewhere in the story. Either <laughs> we've been off track or we are the parent praying for a child or all of the above. <laughs> and it's just such a testimony though, to how much God does and can do when it seems impossible when it just seems that darkness is just winning, that that's it. We're just going to fold up and that's all there is. But God, but God, we'll just leave it there. But God, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> yes. So what was that like for you then learning to receive love from God? How'd that change then the way that this revenge story played out where you're able to start trusting him as your defender? What, what transformed me was when I started to, to see the love of Christ on the cross, his mercy for me. When I finally knew he, he does know everything and he still loves me. He didn't change his mind about give, offering me forgiveness, about the cross being available to me. You know, sometimes you're in such a dark place. You're like, oh, but he would forgive her. She's better. He's a better person than I am. I felt like he, that mercy just transformed me. He knew it all and loved it all and, and was, and was going to love me. And if I wanted to transform, he was going to be there and give me the power, but he loved me as is. And I needed forgiveness from the, the abortion and he, he offered it and healed me from it. And 
and transformed my relationship with my daughter. My daughter and I have an amazing relationship now. She saw the transformation and I am so blessed that we're friends. And, you know, she's 18 now, so I'm still a mom, but, you know, she, she I am her friend. She can tell me her, her deepest thoughts and never feel like I'll abandon her. And it was really the word of God. I really got into the word of God. I fell in love with it. And, and knew that there was hope. And it took a little bit to believe it about me. You know, when he says, you're, you know, um, you're my masterpiece. And the word, like, when Esther became a queen, I'm like, hey, that only happens to those girls. So I honestly, I had to read it a lot and really ask God, help me believe it for me. Mm-hmm. And, and the miracles are still available to me. And justice is still available to me, even if I haven't been perfect. So... I I really focused on getting to know God. Mm -hmm. And that way, if I knew the truth, when counterfeit came, I would recognize counterfeit just because it it was not the truth. So I have focused on the truth as much as I can and not allowing my feelings to get in the way. I battle with post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I started to get help for, for that. But I also focused on if I just know the truth, then all those triggers traumas, lies that the enemy would try and tell me, I'll be able to distinguish them because that's not the truth. The truth Mm -hmm. is there's still healing available to me. And, and, um, I really, I just focused on him and God is, is just so amazing. He healed so many dark places that, that I wasn't even aware of. And, And it's been a process and, you know, there's miracles in the Bible that are instant, and you're like, hey, why couldn't my healing be instant? Mm-hmm. And I learned that I get to get, I get to know him every step of the way. I get to glorify him yeah. when yeah. it's small things, when it's huge things. Mm-hmm. I can really get to know, hey, he is, he is my provider. He's my healer. He's my friend. He, he consoles me. He hugs me. He forgives me. So I've gotten to know him little by little. Some of the things were taken away immediately, you know, um, and others weren't. And, and I, I really saw him as my everything and he's never failed. Mm. And I still have some of the same questions. Like I said, it, you read in the book, I still have some issues, you know, I still will. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> my husband. Um, you know, he, he so I, I think that's the best, the transparency of, mm-hmm. Hey, this isn't about Rosie being perfect. Now there's a, there's a perfect God that loves her. She's still in process. Um, but, but we're all on the way. And if we could just do it together, if we can really pray for each other, if we can feed word into each other, if we can be that friend that's ready with the car on no judging, just get in the car and we'll drive off. Um, then I think as a, as a body, we can really, really help and support each other. Mm, You're so right. Rosie, for a woman who's listening, who's like, okay, great. Like she's had this transformation and now life is looking different for her, but I'm in the middle of it. And I don't know how to deal with this anger and this revenge. I don't know how to let God be my defender. What practical steps could you suggest? What are some things maybe that we have to let go of in order to allow God to take the driver's seat? I, I journal a lot and my journal allows me to see my, myself. It's my mirror. So that journaling and I am raw and then I read it and then I'm like, okay, Rosie, I, I see where, but I also see some things in you. And so I can't lie to me. 
and I can't lie to God and I don't need to because he already sees it. Mm -hmm. So I, I have allowed myself to be very raw with God and have seen him take those places and transform them and heal them and love me through it. And he's not afraid of our emotions. He's not afraid of our anger. He's not going to leave if, if, you know, we're internally slamming doors. And I've, um, in that I've learned to love myself. Mm. Um, so journaling is very, is, is practical for me. It's also a way of praying things that I journaled and then I'm like, Oh, Hey, okay. (laughs) Wow. So it's good to go back and read your journal and be like, Whoa, I'm I'm at a better place because sometimes we don't celebrate our victories enough. Mm -hmm. We're very hard on ourselves. If, if whether we gained a pound or didn't go to the gym or overate or yelled um, at our children, we're so hard at ourselves on ourselves, but then we don't take those victories. So journaling has really helped me to go back and say, but I'm better, but I haven't, you know, done this. And, and, oh, and so really celebrating your victories. I'm talking about take a nap. If you're like, I've done (laughs) great. I deserve a nap. I deserve a massage. I'm going to go buy a great book, like reward yourself. It can be whatever it can Mm -hmm. be little rewards, but really, really learn to reward yourself Mm -hmm. uh, because it does something for the mind. It really, really does. It, it makes it real. And so celebrating your victories, um, for me, it's always a massage or getting my nails done, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and I have learned to be very vulnerable now with other people. I didn't want people to see my weakness. Um, I have learned to tell other people I'm scared. Um, though that word is really hard for me to say because my facade is, it's easier to be strong, Mm -hmm. to be angry, Mm -hmm. um, or to, you know, so me, whether it's a mentor or a pastor or a friend, sister-in-law, or my husband, I've learned to be able to say, I'm scared today. Can you please, can you please pray me, pray with me? Can you remind me? Of, of what I know, but I forgot in the moment. So I've given people the opportunity to speak life into me, mm-hmm. to, to, to correct me in the sense of if I'm being super negative to say, Hey Rose, like, remember, this is what God says. Remember you, this is, and, and I leave people with that door open. Um, so reaching out for help, whether it's a hotline, because sometimes it's easier to tell a stranger, yeah. whether it's a doctor or, or a, psych, a, a psychologist or a counselor, um, a pastor or just your friend, they don't have to have the answer. Just say, Hey, I want to vent right now. And, and for me, that strong woman that has it all together, that single mama that I was for eight years, I- I've learned to know with who it's not with everyone. And I don't have to tell everyone. And yeah. I don't have to put on my social media. I'm right. crying. today. I don't have to, I'm not being fake. I just pick and choose who I can tell. And it has to be someone that I call it. I've friended up. Someone that, that that has either been there already or can give me sound advice or can really lift me up. And when they say I'm praying for you, they really mean it. I don't go and tell everybody. Right. There's other people that I'm mentoring. She doesn't have to know what I'm going through, but those are practical things. And just to be honest, when I need to cry, I give myself the time and the space to cry. I've decided I'm going to cry in my car or in my shower so that because sometimes you feel if you start crying, you're never going to stop. I used to feel that, yeah. but now I've given myself, you have 15 minutes, you're going to go in the shower and put on a good worship music song and you're going to just cry out to God. And that's, that's my time. So I don't, 
um, give away to like, I'm going to just cry all day and stay in bed. I tried that and it didn't work for me, but I'm going to give myself 15 minutes and whether it's the drive home and then I'm going to wipe my tears, I'm going to put it away or, or, you know, and then come home with a a happy attitude or a a different perspective for my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So that minute that I'm in the car, just like letting it out. And telling God my frustrations or crying and then wiping away those tears, that minute, although it seems so insignificant, really helps me walk through the door and say, hey, to my seven-year-old and mean it. And those are the practical things that help me. So good. And I think the thread I hear just kind of tying this all together is, you know, back when you were nine years old, you saying, well, I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm just going to carry it all on my shoulders that really moving through your story, allowing God to be your defender is saying, no, I'm going to let you take care of me. Whether I'm just talking it out, I'm admitting what I don't like about myself, or I'm admitting that I think this is unfair. I'm going to let you into this space because I don't have it anymore. But ultimately it's just opening that door and saying, I don't want this on my shoulders anymore. And allowing him the opportunity to show us whether it's through our personal time experiences with him or through other people that he does have what we need to care for our needs and he's not going to let us down. He's not going to fail us. Yeah. Sometimes I just say that out loud Mm. in my biggest doubt. I, I, it's prayer time changes and looks different in different Mm. seasons. I used to be able to, to sit and read the word for an hour or two and pray and worship. And it was a war room. Now, sometimes it's just in my car of you're not going to fail. He's not going to fail. He's not going to fail. And I'll just repeat it. And, and it's like, I'm letting my flesh know I'm letting my emotions know I have to hear it myself. Like if you don't have anyone there for you, there, there are seasons in your life where you do feel like there's no one I can call. I get that. I've been there too. So I said, I'm going to remind myself then he's not going to fail. He's not going to fail. Jesus isn't going to fail. He's never failed. And, and so I say it enough to where I'm like, see, now you hear it, Rosie. Um, and, but I get it. We, it, it looks different in every season. It looks, and, and that's okay. God is out of a box. And when I heard in the Bible that he was going to use the rocks or he used a donkey, I said, that means he can use anything. I am open, <laughs> Jesus. If you want to use a bird, if you want to use the, the sunset to tell me you love me, if you want to use my child's smile, like I'm going to take it all in. So I, I just, we, I really keep my eyes open for the good things because yes, bad things happen. They, I don't even have the answer as to why it says it rains on the just and the unjust, unjust alike. But I also know that, that there's goodness. So I ask the Holy spirit, keep my ears and my eyes open for the goodness too. Mm. And let me have the same weight or more because sometimes yeah. but I, Rosie put so much weight on the negative comments and, but I'm like, let me put weight on the good things, on the mm-hmm. victories, on let me let those carry more weight than yeah. yeah the bad stuff that could be happening and then i remember everything has an ex- expiration date mm-hmm. everything so this bad season it's going to end one day is it july is it you know it has an expiration date it's like a gallon of milk it's it's about to end so i'm like just hold on hold on until it does and and then i focus on my home internally which is with christ this is nothing compared to what i'm going to live with him and i cannot wait oh. <laughs> i get so excited 
So good. So good. Well, Rosie, I know we're running out of time. I ask every guest the same question at the very end of the conversation. And if it's, it is, if you just had one more thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? God does make good men. He really does. When I was a single mom, I really wanted to know good men. Not necessarily to marry one, because if you want to get married, great. But if you want to stay single too, but if you're raising a son, but if you need a good friend, I got confused and thought there are no more good men. They just don't exist. So I would isolate myself. And uh, I was already a believer. And I said, God, you know, I did want to get married. So in in that single singleness, I still wanted to get married. And I was already a believer and he was already healing me. And I told God, you don't make good men anymore. <laughs> he said, look around. And I said, I know Joseph in the Bible was a straight up man of integrity. There are, yeah, yeah, I know. And he said, no, look around now. So I started to open my eyes to the good men in our, in my life now, not to date them, mm-hmm. nothing, just to know mm-hmm. that they still existed. And when I opened up that possibility, I saw brothers at church that were dignified, that never disrespected me, that didn't want to use me. I saw friends, I saw cousins, I saw transformed men and just opening up that possibility opened up so many possibilities for other miracles, for other good things that can happen. Because my thought about men in general was stopping my thoughts about God being able to really transform me to transform a situation. So when I started to see that, it it really, it changed everything. So whether you want to get married or not, or have a relationship, if you do find yourself thinking all men are dogs, no, I, I really ask you to ask God that. Mm -hmm. And you will see there are good men and you can raise them and we can really transform um, our life when we see God can do it and he is doing it and has done it and will continue to do it. So good. Rosie, I'm so thankful for your testimony and just your relationship with the Lord and the things that he has taken you through and how he's revealed himself to you. Just faith is arising in me as I listen to you speak. (laughs) And I'm just so, so thankful for what he is doing, but what he will continue to do through your story. Can you tell listeners about your book, how they can find it and how they can follow along with you? So God is your defender is available on all platforms. Um, audiobook. I am so happy. I got to do it. I narrated it and it was, it was tough, but it was so worth it. And it, uh, a lot of people are really enjoying it. So and it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Sam's club. Um, just look up Rosie Rivera. God is your defender. And I, I'm also on social media. So you can go onto my Instagram. Um, and it, when you click on my bio, you'll get a signed copy from me. Um, so God is your defender on all platforms. Super excited. And I hope that you enjoy it. And if you get it on Amazon, please give me a review. Those yes. really help. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have links to all of those in the show notes too, to make it easier for listeners to find you. But thank, thank you. you again for spending time with me today. It was beautiful. You too. It was great. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this conversation with Rosie, I've got a couple others in mind that you might enjoy. Check out episode 77 with Tony Collier. That's Beyond Broken, the power of God in your comeback and how to live from more. 
And then also have a listen to episode 73 with Davy Blackburn, Nothing is Wasted, Confronting Pain, Unlocking Purpose, and Taking Back Your Life. As we wrap up today's episode, I do want to point out a couple of resources available in the show notes. The first is our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Going through the issues and things that we're dealing with as single moms in community is so valuable. And so if you'd like to join the Facebook group, all you have to do is search for Agape Moms on Facebook at Agape Moms and then click on the groups tab there and submit a request to join the group. Likewise, if you would like to follow along with Agape Moms on Instagram, you can search for us at Agape Moms. Additionally, I now have a weekly video guided scripture meditation available for every episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to the Agape Moms YouTube channel, you will receive notifications when those videos become available. And it's just a great way to start off your day with some encouragement from God's word and apply some of the things that we're learning here on the podcast. I also want to thank you for your subscriptions, your rankings, your reviews. It's so encouraging to me to see what God is doing in your life and to see Him on the move, but it also helps other women to be drawn in to just what God has for them here as well. And as you move through the rest of your day or your evening, I just pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.